right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Woo! You know what that is? Suey? That's the fraud alert. Fraud alert. For one, John Vincent Calipari. Well, they almost won. You think that deserves to be fraud? They covered the spread. I don't care. Fraud alert. All right. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery here on the show. Guess what we're talking about all day long? Champions Classic. Kansas takes down Kentucky 89-84. to We'll be joined by Henry Greenstein of KUSports.com coming up at 340 here. We've got a KU mailbag. So if you have any last-minute questions you want to get in for our mailbag at RCST1320 on Twitter, you can reply to us. You can DM us, whatever you get way to get a hold of us. Uh, also on our email, RCST1320AM at gmail.com for you to uh, let us know a question from that end of things. Uh, and we will have plenty of audio, too, from Bill Self, players post game, all that stuff throughout the show here on today's edition. KU, though, wins the game. It was a very interesting one, to say the least. It was a game that KU goes up 9 nothing to open things up, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Are they going like, to are they, are they show that why they're the number one team in the country? Are they going to blow out Kentucky, a team of youngsters playing without some of these centers? And then... All of a sudden, Kentucky comes back, and then you kind of get a back-and-forth game. And then all of a sudden, barrage of threes, Kentucky yeah. up big. Yeah. Kansas gets a big 5-0 run to finish the half from Hunter Dickinson yeah. to cut down to seven. Kentucky balloons it to a 14-point lead with 16 minutes to go. KU comes all the way back, takes the lead. Kentucky balloons it back up to six with five minutes to go, and then KU closes strong. Honestly, the more I think about it, that game was very similar to last year's Champions Classic. Yeah. If you remember early in the Duke game, it was like, oh, Kansas is much better than Duke. And then all of a sudden, Duke just kind of chipped away. That one was different. It wasn't about Duke hitting a bunch of like threes like the Kentucky one where the lead went fast. They just chipped away at it. That was more about rebounding. And uh, eventually, Duke took the lead, and then it was like, oh, man, Kansas is down like a handful of points late. And last year, it was Grady Dick just going off down the stretch. This one, it was Hunter Dickinson going off all game and Dewan Harris taking over down the stretch. It was yeah. an unbelievable effort from both players. And when you talk about bringing in a player with Hunter Dickinson who comes in with all the the fanfare and the hype of being he's going to come in right away and be a National Player of the Year candidate, he's going to be a first-team All-American, Big 12 preseason player of the year. The crazy recruitment. It's hard to live up to that. And so much so that, you know, in, in a couple of the exhibition games when he's putting up, you know, 20-8 and eight and he's lo- looking good, but it's like, eh, Still feels like there's another gear there, which normally we wouldn't be saying, but it's just that the expectations have been off the charts. Well, last night he exceeded the off the charts expectations. Unbelievable. 27 points, 21 rebounds. I mean, think about it. Like the Dick Vitale game where he gets up on the sta- on the uh, stand and, and claps, applauds for Nick Collison. He had like 22 and 20. Hunter Dickinson had even better stats than that. Like, and Jay Billis couldn't over. stop talking about, blabbing <laughs> about Kentucky. Oh, oh, that's obviously a foul. Oh, oh, oh. That was terrible from Jay Billis. 
People usually love Jay Billis. Last night, maybe starting to turn. Did, <laughs> well, uh, did Frank Fragella get a hold of him? It I don't know. felt like he was watching a different game <laughs> than what I was watching. Yeah, like bro, what are you what are you looking at? What game are you watching? Yeah, it was it was crazy. But enough about. I don't want to I don't want to dwell on that. Uh, yeah, obviously, fraud alert. John Calipari, uh, Kansas, great great game. Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, outstanding and. You know, Dewan Harris, he has those games in him, man. He has those games in him where he just randomly, you go back to the Tech game last year, where he just randomly shoots a bunch of threes and, and his nails, uh, which was great to see. So I don't, I, that's one of those things where it was great to see, but you definitely don't expect that to be happening night in and night out, right? <laughs> like you don't, like you, somewhere in the middle is where he's going to be between like mm-hmm. that game and like the NC Central game. <laughs> he's going to be somewhere in the middle. He's not going to be doing that every night, but. But, dude, Chippy Dewan was awesome. Loved seeing that. Uh, Antonio Reeves is not the guy he thinks he is. Uh, that's very, very clear. He thinks he's somebody else. He is not. Uh, so that, that was hilarious and great to see because, dude, that guy was just chucking bricks. He I mean, was. You could build a You could build a fort with how many bricks he was laying It was one there. of those things where, like, if you just watched him hit the makes where he hits a couple tough shots and hits some deep threes, you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's amazing. And then if you just showed highlights of all the shots he missed, you'd be like, this is the worst player ever. And he took, like, three or four shots in the final, like, two minutes that all just bricked away. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, the, the you know, play where he kind of gets into it with Dewan Harris, like, Dewan is not somebody who typically gets into those sort of things. He's yeah. a mild-mannered, like, calm, demeanor type of guy. So if you do something that makes him feel like that, you probably you were really, in the wrong, you right? You really pissed and, him off. Yeah, and probably not something that you should probably try to repeat because we saw the <laughs> result. I mean, he he hit threes that kept them in it all game. Yeah. Um, he hits a three to get us get the things going. He hits the three when they're down thirty to twenty seven to tie it at thirty in the first half. And then he hits those. Uh, he hits a three in the the early second half when they're trying to come back to tighten the lead a little bit. And then he hits those two threes late. He was excellent. And that's that's the ultimate. Um, I guess what we've seen so far this year, it's more of the same of what we saw last year. I think just to a progressed level, because yeah. we we talked about it last year that there would be games where Dewan had two points and ten assists, and then there would be other games where he had fifteen points or where he scored six straight points for you. It yeah. is just the the ultimate understanding of the game of basketball, knowing when he needs to step up and score, when he needs to not, and if you're going to leave him open for three. He'll shoot him. Yeah. And, and the thing is, he goes five of six from three. It really should have been five of five because KU messed up their last possession. It ended up in his <laughs> hands, and he just had to chuck one well contested as the shot clock expired. Yeah. Unbelievable performance by two guys, which you're going to go into a lot of games this year saying we have the best duo of basketball players, best trio, maybe even best, I don't know, quadrant. Would that be the right word? <laughs> of basketball players. But um, when you have Hunter Dickinson – that allows you to say, okay, we have about as good of a player as any team has in the country. And then you go down the line, you go, okay, what about your second best player? Well, Dwan Harris playing like that, it's hard to be like, oh, their second best player is going to be as good as your second best player too. So, I mean, that duo, I think it's going to be a lot of fun this year. I, I think we, we might look back on this thing with Dwan Harris and Hunter Dickinson. Similarly to, I, I know it's not the same because it could only be one year. I don't know. I guess hypothetically we could get two years of, of Dewan and Hunter Dickinson. But it'll be different, but I think we could look back on it similarly how we looked back on like Sharon and Cole. The the ultimate duo of point guard and, and big man. Devon Dotson and Ujoke Asbuka, right? Devon and Doke. That's yeah. the, the more, I guess, uh, new age one, right? Yeah. I think we're going to look back on it this year of that, of having one guy who's a guard, one guy who's a center who can just take over and dominate games. Yeah. Yeah, very impressive stuff. And I, I talked yesterday about... K would win if Dewan Harris controls the game. And that was not what I envisioned when I said that. 
That was not what I envisioned. But he still did that. He still controlled the game uh, through his scoring and was outstanding. And yeah, Hunter Dickinson, I mean, just just, just remarkable. And uh, look what happens when he tries. Turns out he's like the best player in the country. Wow, who would have thought that? Uh, incredible stuff. And and we haven't even brought up Kevin McCullough yet, who also had a great game. I mean, the guy had a triple-double. He had a triple-double. A triple-double. Yeah, he and he's like the, the ball fourth, well. He's like the fourth headline yeah. of the game, and he had a triple-double. Yeah, didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, I thought he got called for a couple fouls that should not have been fouls, but, you know, sometimes that happens in a physical game. But yeah, yeah triple-double, man. Twelve. It's only the, I think, second one under Bill Self, and only the... Like I think it's third the, I th- one. I think uh, I there think, was the stat that it was like the first time I think in in history where you had a teammate with twenty five and twenty and a triple double in the crazy, same game. Crazy. I think. Yeah, and I, I think uh, it's the Cole Aldridge uh, game in the NCAA tournament where he had a triple double with blocks. I can't remember if there was anybody else with Bill Self. Obviously, uh, if they would have had more stats back in the day, Wilt Chamberlain probably would have done it a couple times <laughs> with just like getting I don't know ten blocks or like. <laughs> He was a really good passer too. But anyway, um, yeah, unbelievable game from from all three of those guys. And I, I thought KJ was even really good in this one too. I mean, yeah, um, sixteen I mean, points, gonna eight, have, eleven. He's going to have nine bajillion yeah. dunks. He really is. He also had three assists, good passer. He had two steals and two blocks, so he filled it up. Okay, seriously, eight I, or I, ten on twos. I don't know how you stop that set that KU was running a lot. Where and they even ran it with Parker Brown, and Parker Brown got a dunk out of it. It's where Dewan has the ball, and you like have Hunter Dickinson, and there's like a triangle, and they mm-hmm. kind of play high low with Hunter Dickinson, and then the last guy, KJ, cuts baseline, and it's like a wide open dunk yeah. every time. I don't know how you stop that. I literally, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not a basketball coach, but I, I don't know how you stop it, and I haven't seen anybody even come close to trying to stop it yet. It's, it's been a nice combination early in the season, and I think what, what KJ's biggest role in the game, two, two big roles, um. He was he would, he made a lot of big plays in the second half when KU was making their mount back to either tying or taking the lead. He had a lot of momentum plays, and I think that's going to be the thing for KJ all year. He's going to be the ultimate energy guy because yeah. when KJ dunks it or makes an and one or, or does something big, it's not just a big play. It's a big play because he lets you know. Not like it's not like a I don't know. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of a good example. He, he's not one of those players who like is going to go up to the other player. And like, no, a lot of times, you know, I saw him going to the put KU three bench. goggles right in his face or something. He's doing it to the crowd. Yeah, to he's the doing bench. It to the KU bench. Yeah, that's he's fist pumping. He's hitting his chest. He's getting everybody excited. There's something that is enthralling about when KJ Adams makes a big play, and I absolutely love watching him. Uh, the one alley oop play from Kevin McCuller to KJ Adams was so much fun. That yeah. half court alley oop. Yeah, that um, was awesome. But KJ, man, uh, the first half when things could have been even more out of hand than they were. Like, you could have easily been down at half 12 points or, you know, something like that. There was a point in the first half where it felt like Kentucky was basically double-teaming any passes to Hunter Dickinson, and it got Kansas in trouble because they tried to throw a bunch of entry passes in the first half to Hunter Dickinson that weren't there, and it led to a stretch where it felt like KU turned the ball over like five straight trips. I, I don't think it was that much, but it felt like it. And they were just trying to force it into him. And then KU adjusted by making him play up and saying, okay, if you want to put all that attention to Hunter Dickinson, what are you going to do if we put KJ Adams in the the duck-in spot, in the uh, kind of pinch post spot where he's basically getting fronted or he's creating the angle? And Kentucky didn't have an answer for it. They were able to throw him the ball and basically say, okay, you 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 want to take away Hunter Dickinson? We'll do it with KJ Adams. And boom, <laughs> he has 16 points on 8 of 11. Now, the jump shooting wasn't there for him, which yeah. you know that, that ideally you'd like to see get figured out. But I, I thought those four guys were great. Um, it is funny to me because I think it's so easy sometimes when you win a big game like this to only focus on the positives because of how exciting it is. 
when in reality it was so close to you losing the game and then us coming in today and being like, here's the problem, this is what went wrong for them. So I do think it is important to still look at things that did go wrong in the game and to that notion. I mean, you were down double digits multiple times throughout the game. And those four guys were great for you. The other guys, not so much. Yeah, four bench points in the game. Uh, You really didn't get much. You didn't get anything from Timberlake. You didn't really hardly get anything from, from the Marco Jackson either. So obviously that that fifth starting spot is now even under more of a microscope, if possible. I mean, it feels like do it we feels throw like, Jamari McDowell in competition now after yeah. the way he finished the game. Yeah, I mean, it feels like that 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 final starting spot has become so oversaturated as a talking point. But yet here, I mean, I don't know how you cannot look at that and say, okay, well that's you know something to talk about because again, you get greatness from your other four players, your other four starters in that fifth spot. You don't really get much from any of those guys, right? Like. The moment looked a little big for Johnny Furphy as a freshman, which is fine. El Marco Jackson is still trying to figure things out, clearly. Nick Timberlake, he's got areas of his game that are taking away from his ability to do what he does best, which is shoot threes. And when you play for someone like Bill Self, if you can't do everything at a relatively high level, you're going to have a hard time staying on the floor. So uh, that that was tough. But, uh, you know, KU's experience obviously shined through, right? We talked about it yesterday. Kentucky had some experience, guys. Antonio Reeves just tried to play hero ball. You know who didn't try to do that? DeJuan Harris, Hunter Dickinson. They just played their game and kept doing what they were doing best, and it ended up working out for them. So I do think, to your point about this Kentucky team, Derek, from yesterday, I think you're spot on. This is definitely a Kentucky team that is a top-10 team, I think. I mean, they looked really yeah. good at times. They looked really, really dangerous. Dillingham got in foul that trouble. That win is going to age very well. Yeah, Dillingham got in foul trouble, which helped KU a lot, I think, uh, late in the game. He was on the bench for a long time. Which, uh, looking back, half. he got that one foul where John Calipari was like, what are you doing? Uh, it was the end of the first half, and he was just like pressing full yes. court and fouled. Yeah. And that allowed Kansas to – but anyway, sorry. Yeah, but, but that, I mean, that was obviously a big factor, the fact that he didn't, he didn't play. Uh, so there is still – there are still some question marks for Kansas, but they showed their veteran leadership. Their stars showed up, and I think you're, you can bank on their stars showing up most nights. You know, this is not – with last year's team, it felt like if Jalen Wilson didn't show up, KU was going to maybe struggle. I think with this year, that won't be the case. I think if you have games where McCullough doesn't necessarily show up or if KJ Adams doesn't show up, I think you can still lean on DeJuan Harris and Hunter Dickinson. Or if DeJuan Harris isn't scoring, you can lean on Hunter Dickinson. I mean, is it even possible for Hunter Dickinson to have a game where he quote-unquote doesn't show up? Like, it's what a lot even, harder. Like, no, what does I even mean, look we, like? we talked about this with Zach Eady last year when it was like, it's going to be hard. Like when we were midway through the season, we were discussing can Jalen win National Player of the Year, and we were it's like, like, "Well, a, a bad game for Zach Eady yeah. is like sixteen and ten. Exactly, because when you, when you're that big, like it's 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 just so hard. is that is the that Hunter Dickinson? Is I that guess Hunter so. Dickinson? Yeah, is a bad is. a bad game for him is like fifteen and eight or something. Like yeah, that. so I think you can rely on him, and I think you're you're going to be in a position where if if one of your stars is struggling or gets in foul trouble or whatever, you you can uh, you can overcome that. That was my other big takeaway. Is listen, KJ Adams fouled out with quite a bit amount of time left mm-hmm. in, in the second full half. minutes yeah and Kansas was able to to kind of patch together their lineup to get through that there was some interesting Kansas lineups that were thrown out there also by the way Parker Brown and Hunter Dickinson were out there at the same time at one point you had a lineup with uh I think you had a, it was a lineup with Parker Brown Hunter Dickinson Johnny Furphy Dewan Harris and uh El Marco I think was the mm-hmm. lineup at one point so just kind of some weird stuff that KU patchwork together late in the game and, and made it work and Jamari McDowell was great off the bench late, coming in cold and, and doing what he did. So a very, very impressive game. But, but yeah, I, there are still definitely some question marks. But, again, do I need to tap the sign? Even though KU won November games, they don't matter. 
Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, if Kansas would have lost the game, we would have come in here. And, yes, we would be talking about the negatives probably, you know, a little bit more than we would be right now. But at the end of the day, we would have sat back here and said, okay, Kentucky might just be really good. They hit a bunch of threes at one point. You had some ugly early turnovers. You probably fouled more than you needed to. Uh, maybe there's some calls that they didn't like, uh, which certainly, you know, there were for me. But overall, again, <laughs> like, you know, that that's just part of the game. And, yeah. uh, you know, everything's going to be fine from here. Yes. Um, the beauty of what this does, it does feel like it gives you a little bit more of no, every, margin for error with the Mountain oh, yeah. I mean, you have a very tough schedule, every right? Every win you get between from like between now and the next like month, basically, month and a half, I guess, every win you get uh, you know, in this game, the UConn game, Indiana, Maui, every win you get only serves to to benefit even more once you get into February and March, right? Right. Because it's going to boost your 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 resume, your seating, and whatnot. And and you know, I mean, listen, th- maybe this is a game where if Kentucky is close to being on the one line, and so is Kansas, maybe this is a game where you know, I, I don't know. So it it it, it, uh, it I say November games don't matter. I say it in jest a little bit because they mm-hmm. do matter a little bit. But but yeah, I, I agree. Like every win is basically icing on the cake here for the time being against some of these top teams. Because if you lose, it's really not that big of a deal because you're probably still looking at uh, getting a pretty high seed in the NCAA tournament and being a very, very dominant yeah. team. So, uh, But, yeah, overall, great win. John Calipari sucks. He's a clown. <laughs> he stinks. Antonio Reeves is not the guy he thinks he is. And uh, I do think guy, pal. <laughs> I, do think, I do think Kentucky's going to end up being pretty good, and so this is a, a really good win for Kansas early on in the season. Hunter Dickinson is advertised and better. And you, you touched on it. You could have a whole other year of these guys. I mean, seriously. Really a whole could. other year of DeWan Harris and Hunter Dickinson. And by, and by the way, obviously this win will age even better because Kentucky is going to be getting, at some point, some seven-footers back. I will say, because you, you did see a lot of Kentucky fans after the game being like, oh, well, we would have won if, if we had those three. And that's just natural as a fan to be like, well, and, and you know, point point in the mirror when, when KU loses a game where you're without a player, you do the same thing. Oh, yeah. But I will say, I almost think that the way Kentucky had to play actually helped them in this game because if they would have thrown out a seven-footer who's inexperienced to play against Hunter Dickinson, maybe he doesn't go for 27 and 21, but he still probably has a good game against a young freshman, and it would probably prevent Kentucky from being able to space the court as much, get driving lanes, get open threes to where I actually think matchup-wise this was tougher for Kansas than if they did have a seven-footer. Now, Kentucky will be better with the seven-footer, so they could obviously win the game if they would have had the seven-footer. I'm just saying, like, stylistically, it actually made the game harder for Kansas yeah. in one way. Hey, the, so. the tempo, I think, did end up kind of mattering. When yeah, Kentucky by the way, sped up, when Kentucky sped Kansas up, they, they had a significant advantage, I think. Kansas so the tempo, is now number one in the country in adjusted tempo on Ken Palm. Really? Very early in the season. You know, <laughs> I just found that kind of funny. But see, that's interesting because it felt like, to me, when Kentucky sped up, that benefited them, not Kansas. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, especially in the first half. Things got yeah. a little sloppy for KU there. So, yeah. um, a- Any issues that, that there are with the, the other guys, the bench, so to speak, right now, at the very least, I do feel like, like, okay, if we go back to last year, there were issues with the bench all year long for KU, right? Yeah. Outside of a few games here there. It didn't feel like the ceiling of that – bench is the wrong word here because I'm, I'm really talking about the other guys. Like, it's the fifth starter plus the bench yeah. for KU this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really feels like the ceiling for this one is a lot more to where, like, Johnny Furphy struggled a bit last night. Marco Jackson struggled a bit last night. Uh, both had, you know, their moments. I feel like with both guys more than I did last year with some of the guys sure. that come conference play, those guys are going to be dudes. Well, or, or I mean, like, at least adequate. Well, right? well I, mean, let, I mean, you can break that down a little bit further. Look at a guy like Joe Yesifu. 
Do you feel like yeah. El Marco or Johnny Furphy has a chance to kind of eclipse what what he was? Yes, yes, definitely. I think. Then you look at a guy like MJ Rice. Can Jamari McDowell or you know again Johnny Furphy? Can they be a more of a contributor than that? Yeah. I think the answer is yes. There also. Then you look at Parker Brown. Can he be on the same tier or same level as what you got from Ernest Uday and Zuby Ejiofor? I think the answer is probably yes there too. So you've got a lot of guys now on on this on this bench that you feel like are going to be in position to do better than what you had at any point last season. And you know, we're only 3 games in. And and I think you could almost say that, you know, what you've already what you're already seeing from Jamari McDowell and or Jamari McDowell and Johnny Furphy, that's already better than anything you ever saw from MJ Rice the whole season last year. Yeah, basically. So, yeah, to your point, I I do I do have a lot of confidence that those guys are going to are going to produce and listen. When you've got a, a quartet of players like you have that we've outlined, you don't need Jamar McDowell, Johnny Furphy, or or even you know El Marco Jackson coming in and just you know dominating or contributing a lot. It's basically just a hold the line situation, right? I mean for the I mean I mean seriously, yeah. Is, is, that, is that not what it is? Like hold basically you know hold the line for however many minutes that you know Dewan Harris or Hunter Dickinson on the bench or Kevin McCuller, and then that's it. And I think that would be very satisfactory for a lot of people because those guys are going to be producing at a high level anyways. Mm-hmm. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. More KU basketball talk after this timeout. Henry Greenstein joins us in 15 minutes on KLWN. Depend on. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch service makes my body feel loose and limber and gets rid of some of those day-to-day aches I have from a long day at the office or working out at the gym. During the stretches, all you need to do is relax and breathe deep and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have massages, rapid tension services, and advanced skin care. That's Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and South Black Bob Road in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Henry Greenstein will join us in about five minutes from right now on the show to talk more KU basketball and a little KU football. Uh, we had an update from Jason Bean earlier today, by the way, that apparently he practiced today and uh, got... Some reps. A whole lot of reps. Now, is that a smoke screen? Is it real? So we were we were at the press conference, obviously, and you you kind of you kind of scoffed at that, and I saw Andy Kolnicki like (laughs) kind of react to it. It It's pretty funny. It was kind of an inaudible (laughs) laugh. I didn't even realize. I I had kind of a laugh to this. I didn't. I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. We'll see what ends up happening there. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I told you on Monday what I think, and I think that's that is going to be true. So okay. Well, uh, we'll get more into that with Henry Greenstein. We did Rock Chalk Pickahawk last night, and, well, you had Hunter Dickinson, so things went well for you. Nice. <laughs> he had 41 Pickahawk points. Sheesh. That is a lot. And he wound up uh, with your team best, as you'd imagine, 41. KJ Adams had 12 for you. There we go. But then after that, things didn't go as well for your team. Johnny Furphy had negative 10. How? Well, you see, How many, I don't even feel like he played that many minutes. He uh, he was in there for a bit in the second half. Um, he played twelve minutes. Okay. He had zero points, one rebound, no assists, no steals, no blocks. Yes. That's how that happened. Um, Nick Timberlake got you negative nine points. So collectively, you had thirty-four. Okay. I meanwhile had Kevin McCuller, who got me twenty-one. Dewan Harris, who got me six. I was surprised that one ended up not being more. Yeah. Uh, Parker Brown got me one. 
And then El Marco Jackson got me negative eight. I got to stop picking Nick Timberlake. Okay, but think about this. So this means for, and I know pick a hawk is, is not at all indicative of how actual games go because we know this is very different than the, but I think that is kind of reflective of how we feel about that, that fifth starting spot because Furphy, Timberlake, and El Marco combined for negative 27 pick a hawk points. It's kind of out there. <laughs> not you know? great. Wow, man. I mean, Derek, how does it feel to be one and two? No, but, uh, no, you know, three I'm, I'm and two, you. three and two. One and you know, I'm two and one. Uh, by the way, I have numbers in front of me for net rating, which is uh, if you don't know what net rating is, it's O rating, which is your amount of points per 100 possessions, minus your D rating, which is your okay. defense rating, yep. amount of points allowed per 100 possessions. Makes okay? sense. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So net rating minus. is the easy number. See, right? That's math I can understand. Math you can understand. Okay, um, among the, I guess. I don't know. Uh, whatever. I, I can go into some of the other lineups that they played, but for the most part, the, the the primary ones, just with the three different guys playing the the other fifth starting spot. So Dewan Harris with Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson. Those four. Those four consistent, right? Okay. Yep. So one with El Marco, one with Johnny Furphy, one with Nick Timberlake. Would you like to guess uh, which is worst or best to worst in terms of the net rating? I'm guessing Timberlake was the worst. And uh, I actually, I'm, I bet you El Marco was still first and Furphy second. First is the Furphy lineup. Okay. Second is I, the El Marco lineup. Yeah. And third is the Nick Timberlake lineup. Yeah, I overthought that one a little bit. In my mind, I thought Furphy And first. this isn't just for the Kentucky game. This is for all three so far. <laughs> In my mind, I thought Furphy first, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I don't understand how El Marco gets cooked on defense, by the way. Like just stay in, like you're fast and athletic. Just I was stay rewatching the, the game and that that Reed uh, Shepherd guy got in, he he blew by. He got him in his hip pocket Johnny like every Furphy time. Too. I I mean maybe he's just like a better athlete than we think. I don't I don't know. Part of it's positionally, but yeah. So as far as the net rating goes, um, the the lineup with Furphy has a net rating that is in the 95th percentile in the country. The lineup with El Marco has a lineup that's 88th percentile in the country. And then the lineup with Nick Timberlake is 29th percentile in the country. Yeah, Nick, Nick Timberlake has been not great, uh, admittedly. Uh, and, and again, it just comes down to it, when you can't do the other stuff at a high level, you're not going to be able to stay in the game very long to be effective at what you are good at, which for Nick Timberlake is shooting threes. But if you are unable to maintain a high enough level on defense and other areas, Bill Self's not going to keep you in the game. And that just, you know, and... I feel bad because that's something where, you know, from a mental perspective, I'm sure that can snowball on a guy, right? I mean, how does that how does how do you not let that affect you mentally if you're Nick Timberlake? You just got to find a way to to persevere and and, you know, it, either improve in those areas or make yourself so valuable as a shooter that you you do need to stay on the floor, but but yeah, right now it's pretty clear that KU's best lineups are ones with without Nick Timberlake. Mm-hmm. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Henry Greenstein, KUSports.com, Lawrence Journal World joins us next. This is RCST. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Henry was out in Chicago last night for the Champions Classic KU against Kentucky. Uh, Henry, what what was your top takeaway from the game as, as KU came out on top against the Wildcats? I mean, I have a few that come immediately to mind. I mean, one thing is it's nice to be reminded every now and then of just what skill set Dewan Harris has in his arsenal. I don't know if people thought he had that in his game necessarily, but 
Uh, it's nice to know, especially with a KU team where not everyone is always producing at the highest possible clip, that he can chip in and be an offensive force, not just as a passer, which he certainly did plenty of. I think he ended up with like seven assists, which for him is like amateur numbers. But, uh, you know, f- five for six on threes, and the last one was that desperation one in the final minute. Um, really, really impressive. Uh, had some hard-fought drives to the hoop as well. Just just great to see uh, from a KU perspective what exactly he can do beyond just feeding the ball to Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams on the lobs all the time, which is certainly a valid use of his talents as well. Does it feel like to you, I, I don't know, you were around some of the national media as, as part of it. I, I don't know how much you got a chance to kind of rub elbows and, and chat with some of the other people, but uh, was was there a, a growing sentiment that, that maybe Hunter Dickinson is emerging as, as a very, very early like leader for National Player of the Year? Yeah, I definitely got that sense, and I think it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, the dream matchup in Maui would be for him to find a way to match up against Zach Eady if KU and Purdue end up in the championship of that tournament, but that's a little ways away. Uh, we'll see what happens, but yeah, that would that would definitely go a long way toward resolving that debate, but yeah, I mean, 27 and 21 at the Champions Classic is something that you just don't expect and you never hear of, and super impressive mark for him. Um, you know, of course, Kentucky didn't have a true center, and that's uh, I, I've seen that same sentiment for many Kentucky fans online today, as you would imagine, but he was challenged in a way that Bill Self had predicted he'd be challenged by an undersized athletic center who kind of put, brings him outside of his comfort zone. And it wasn't always perfect, but he did enough work on the glass and on his own offensive side to offset any issues he may have had defensively uh, and also added three steals, which is pretty good. So, yeah, on the whole, super impressive performance from Hunter. Um, and just doing what it says on the tin, I guess. Coming into the season, I, I kind of thought that Kevin McCuller might be maybe not necessarily the, the best player on the team, but the most important player in terms of how everything works within the team. But when you got Dewan Harris doing what he does and, and Hunter Dickinson, I don't know. Who, who do you think right now is maybe the most important player to what this team is trying to do on both ends of the floor? I still agree with you, Nick. I still think it is Kevin McCuller. I, I, I know this was not – well, it's really funny to say this wasn't a shining performance for him because he got a triple-double, and that is, that is the great irony of this game for him. But, yeah, it, it wasn't the kind of dynamic inside and outside uh, offensive showing that we'd seen from him. He did a good job distributing it, obviously, hence the assist numbers. But not his best game, and he ends up with a triple-double. I think he is truly the core of this team. I think the team is noticeably worse with him off the floor. Uh, I, I think a lineup with Dewan Hunter and no McCuller is, is, is vastly worse in ways that aren't necessarily negatively perceptible. But it really doesn't flow as well. Um, they don't have his ability to slash and create uh, in, in ways that are useful and the sort of way that he honed over the course of the offseason to, to become more aggressive. So I'm still, I'm still aboard that Kevin McCullough is the most uh, important player train, but it's a luxury to say that when the team it also has Harris and Dickinson in the starting lineup. Have you, through three games, I, I don't know if you still are, are using the exhibition games in, in terms of how you're evaluating this team, uh, through three games, does it feel like to you they are kind of living up to the billing of being the number one team? Or, or I guess what reservations do you still have even after last night? Yeah, the defense has some more work to do. I think we saw that in second half against both of the mid-majors. And 
In many cases, that was with many of the key contributors still in because there's like no one else you can put in except the key contributors on this team unless you're going to go to walk-ons. And I think the defense struggled at times last night. I think it certainly tightened up at the end, but I think also the gravity of the moment got to some of those Kentucky freshmen and, and the ones who weren't freshmen just started missing the basket entirely. I, and I don't think that was entirely because of great defense on KU's part. Um, I think they are still underperforming a little bit in terms of what you would expect from a team that has two of the best defensive players in the country who we just finished talking about. Um, I think it'll help when the freshmen get a little bit more seasoned. I think El Marco had some poor moments on defense that helped Kentucky establish that lead late in the game. And I think he'll get better at that uh, as the season goes on because he's certainly got the skill set and athleticism for it. But, yeah, just something to keep an eye on because, I mean, and it, it, it's not like Rob Dillingham making four threes in two minutes and setting up another one was the only reason why KU was behind. Kentucky was able to sustain that lead for quite a long time, and that, I think, speaks to greater deficiencies in the defensive end. When you look at that that fifth starting role, and I guess if you want to even go deeper with, with kind of the bench, um, I, I guess there were some concerns for KU in that game, and it, it felt like everything that, that we saw in the first two games where Johnny Furphy was excelling seemed like more of a struggle in this game. I mean, that's going to happen for freshmen, but with El Marco, feels like they're still trying to feel that along. Feels like with Nick Timberlake, he's still trying to find his footing. I, I don't know. Is, is there enough of an opening there with none of those guys yet taking – things down that when you see Jamari McDowell come in for the last couple of minutes of the game and getting Bill Self's trust there and I guess not really doing anything to mess up is is there any world in your mind where you could see Jamari McDowell eventually later this season being the starting two or do you think this will more so just be kind of a fun little note that you know we'll look back on and be like oh Jamari McDowell finished that game I'd go somewhere in between. I don't think it will be a fun little note, but I think this establishes a precedent that you can rely on Jamari McDowell in key minutes to play defense and grab rebounds and whatnot. Um, I've seen people compare it to freshman year K.J. Adams, and while I was not here for that, I, I have a sense of what that role was. I think we could see McDowell settle into that. He's put such an emphasis on playing defense and, and uh, anchoring his role in the rotation through that, and I think that will really endear him to self and the coaching staff. But I don't currently see him as a serious contender for that last starting spot. I do agree with you. There is a void and no one has set up to fill it so far. I still think, I'm still thinking that Furphy is probably the best long-term pick for a starting role based on what we saw before. But certainly uh, yesterday he did not look great at all. Uh, picking up those fouls repeatedly couldn't really get involved in any substantive fashion on the offensive end. Um, I, I think it's going to end up being him or El Marco. I'm not really sure what the deal is with Nick Timberlake currently. I think he's actually acquitted himself fairly well on defense in some cases, which in some cases is actually better than I expected. But the shooting has not been there so far, and the shot selection hasn't even really quite been what you would hope for. So, yeah, that's been kind of underwhelming for me so far, and that's why I think it's probably one of the freshmen who ends up starting long-term. We're talking with Henry Greenstein, KUSports.com, Lawrence Journal World. Uh, meanwhile, as as you know, much as the town of Lawrence is buzzing after the KU basketball win last night against Kentucky, it's a pretty big one for football this week, too, with the Sunflower Showdown top 25 matchup after we saw Kansas come in at number 25 in the CFP rankings last night and taking on Kansas State on Saturday at 6 o'clock. Uh, going back to the, the worry scale here, 
Uh, certainly the Jalen Daniels stuff came to a head on Saturday when because of his unavailability, they had to go to Cole Ballard. And I, I feel like it's not even being considered at all that Jalen could be in the mix this Saturday at quarterback, which I, I guess at this point feels like to me, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of assuming it's it's going to be a season-long thing. Uh, is the worry scale at this point just, I, I think you said last week, it, it kind of hit the charts. Like, are we just there for the rest of the year at this point? Yes, I think so. And I think that my confusion scale has, has been amplified <laughs> to even greater levels by the uh, mixed messaging out of KU this week, which may be a gamesmanship tactic, but from a from a journalism perspective, it's kind of exasperating. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, on Saturday we hear Jason Bean has a head injury. Okay, uh, on Monday we hear that Leipold is very optimistic about him playing uh, in the Sunflower Showdown, which is you know a turn of phrase he's used before, but that carries some significant weight. But then the next morning, he, he goes on a radio show and says that Bean is progressing, but we have to plan as though we're going to start Cole, which is odd. And then, and then today, uh, Andy Kolnicki says that Jason practiced today, but the context in which he brought it up was a strange one. It was being asked about who would serve as Cole Ballard's backup uh, if Cole ends up starting. I don't know if he was just presenting that as an alternative option to Cole starting would be Jason starting, or if there's some circumstance in which Cole starts, but Jason is available in an emergency capacity. Like I said, confusion scale off the charts. If I had to pick, I'd say probably we see Cole Ballard. And really, I mean, he showed a lot of moxie, which is the word everyone keeps using for him, but I think it's just such an unfavorable situation for him to be thrust into for his first career start. Yeah, that, that, this would certainly be a tough one. So, yeah, like you said, the, the kind of mind games, it, it could be Jason Bean just, I don't know, trying to get K-State to prepare for one thing or the other. It could be that he's actually coming back. I, I don't know, maybe he's just there in case of emergency behind Cole Ballard, whatever it is. Uh, I would like to add another worry scale here because we don't have enough. Uh, here's another one. What is, what is the Jason Bean worry scale? <laughs> Oh, I don't think the Jason Bean worry scale is, is that high because if he's already practicing this early on, um, that shows significant progress. I mean, that, that injury looks pretty brutal. I wasn't even sure if it was a head or a leg thing or some combination thereof. But if he's already practicing, it can't be that bad. I think in, in a long-term sense, the Jason Bean worry scale is probably like a, like a two or three. I, I'm not too high up on that list. Uh, but certainly, I mean, he gives them a great chance to win when he's in there. And uh, KU's playing K-State on senior day. What to you sticks out? I know you haven't been covering the Jayhawks for every year of this senior class and everything they've been through, but what's kind of the the ultimate message or or theme that you've kind of felt this week from speaking to coaches and and upperclassmen players about uh, what this game means to them on Saturday and and what this kind of senior class means to the program as a whole? Yeah, Rich Miller gave a very striking quote today in which he said, this is the kind of game where you, where you want to be carried off the field. Um, so I guess that kind of gives a sense of how they're approaching it. But, yeah, I think this is a momentous occasion. I mean, win or lose, this is a group of seniors, I believe it's 19 in total, who have shaped the course of this program. Uh, they've left an indelible impact on it. And, you know, they came from all sorts of different places. Many of them were Les Miles recruits. Some of them probably even got some recruitment from David Beatty. Some of them came uh, with Leipold from Buffalo. Others were transfers, people like Craig Young, Dominic Cooney. And, but they've all kind of unified behind this common goal. And, and 
it, it's worked out very well and produced great results so far. Uh, and also just looking at this list, it gives you a sense of how different next season is going to be. We talked all offseason leading up to this year about the continuity that is not going to be the storyline next year because there's going to be so many major holes for KU to replenish. It'll be interesting to see how they go about doing that because they have such a large freshman class, but not many of those guys will be able to contribute right away. So, yeah, it just gets you thinking about a lot of different things about the future and past of the program. Kansas State feels like they're kind of peaking at the right time on both sides of the ball, on offense and defense. I guess to you, which side of the ball do you feel maybe a little bit better about KU coming into this game? Is it maybe the defense trying to slow down K-State's offense, or maybe even if it's Cole Ballard, do you feel like the offense maybe can still take advantage of that K-State defense? Which side do you maybe have a little bit more confidence in right now? This is hard. This is a strange thing to say, but I have more confidence in the KU defense currently. And just to be clear, it's not just because of Cole Ballard. I think the 3-3-5 scheme has produced the worst rushing performances. The two worst rushing performances for KU this year were Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Those are both 3-3-5. They also had the two best passing performances by Jason Bean against those two teams, but I'm not entirely sure whether Ballard will be able to replicate that feat against a super talented secondary that forces a lot of turnovers and has, I believe, like a top 15 pass defense in the country. Um, so that's why I say I have more confidence in the KU defense. Uh, if they can play like they did for every drive of last week's game, except for the first and the last one, they, they will give the offense a great chance to win against pretty much anybody. I mean, I'm not sure if that can be replicated, but the level of pursuit, the, the level of block shutting we saw was extremely good. Uh, K-State obviously has a really good O-line. But I think they will do enough to put pressure on Howard and some of those young wide receivers. And I don't know. I, 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 it's hard to believe that I'm saying this, but I really do feel better about the KU defense in this matchup. Yeah, it feels like Brian Borland has been kind of coaching in a reactionary way. It feels like KU's been making adjustments that have helped them improve on defense throughout the course of the game. But for a game like this against Kansas State, how important do you think it is maybe on the defensive side, kind of like you alluded to with the Texas Tech game, of maybe getting off to a strong start and not allowing Kansas State to build that momentum early? Oh, I think it's incredibly important, especially with a sold-out crowd in a rivalry game. I mean, Texas Tech, this is a phrase we've heard a lot, just came out and punched them in the mouth. You cannot have that happen with Kansas State, which is a more talented team than Texas Tech in, uh, in most respects. Um, they're going to have to like force a stop on the opening drive or something. I, I don't think you can get absolutely run over what they did by Taj Brooks, but DJ Giddens and Sean Ward and, and those guys will do everything they can to exploit the same weaknesses that people like Taj Brooks and Tawi Walker and Ollie Gordon and many others have exploited in the KU defense thus far. It, it, it's very hard to predict on a week-to-week basis which edition of the Brian Borland run defense we will see. Well, you uh, have your updated Big 12 power rankings on the website at KUSports.com, and Kansas tumbled down to number five in the rankings. But I I guess, I don't know, it it feels like everything's so muddled. Technically, Kansas is like in eighth place in the league right now. Where do you think it goes if they win this week versus if they lose? Like, if they win, do they jump back up to number three? If they lose, do they drop to, like, number eight? Yeah, I, I, I don't think they drop much more if they lose because Kansas State is acknowledged as a good team. But 
Yes, it's all very capricious. I mean, we have Oklahoma above two teams that beat Oklahoma, and that's that's how I ranked it because that's just how things have gone in the Big 12 this season. There is no rhyme or reason. I believe the conference has now completed a circle of parity where you can sort of make (laughs) transitive matchups in in such a way that uh, you go around in a loop and everyone has, has a transitive win over everyone else. So... Power ranking this uh, this conference is an inexact science. I think number five is about fair for KU currently. I, I I think that's probably about where they'll be in the bowl pecking order at this point, which is a conversation I'm sure we'll be having much more as the weeks proceed. Yes, for sure. And uh, beyond that, you can check out all sorts of stuff at KUSports.com. What are some of the uh, highlights that you have on there right now? Uh, look at my coverage from the Champions Classic. I thought I thought it was pretty good. Uh, keep an eye out for for more volleyball and women's basketball. Avery's doing a great job with that. Uh, yeah, check it out for all your University of Kansas athletics needs. There we go. Well, Henry, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have fun getting to travel to Honolulu next week. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. All right. That's Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joining us here on RCST. One hour down, two to go. We've got a KU mailbag coming up next. If you have any last-second questions you want to submit, hit us up at RCST1320 on Twitter. You can uh, also you can DM us. You can reply to us. You can reply to the post, quote, tweet, whatever. You can also hit us up with email, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, 4 o'clock hour here. And uh, we're going to have some more KU basketball audio coming at you throughout today. We got Bill Self, we got uh, the players' audio after the game, and more KU basketball uh, content throughout the remainder of the show here after KU wins in the Champions Classic last night. But before we get to uh, any of that, we've got another edition of our KU mailbag. That's right, baby! Woo! Well, thank you to everybody who submitted a question. You can do that even if you want to do it for next week. Yep. Although it looks like we got a last-minute submission here. Let me add this in. Uh, but anyway, oh, you can there do we that go. at the buzzer. At RCST1320 on Twitter. DM us, reply, whatever. Or you can hit us up on email, rcst1320am at gmail.com. Our first up is from Spinked. Um, leading current bowl candidate for the Hawks. So basically, what, what are the most yeah. likely bowl situations for KU? Yeah, I mean, the, the Pop-Tarts Bulls been getting a lot of run uh, for KU lately. I think they've had some representatives at some games this year for KU, and they seem really interested in KU. Uh, that's in Orlando. Then you have the Houston Bull, or no, the Texas Bull. It's in Houston, though, I believe. Is that right? The Texas Bowl is in Houston. Yeah, so Correct. Texas Bowl, I think, is another possibility. Yeah, so and it, goes, then, it goes, as far as the Bull selection order, obviously yeah. any New Year's Six would be on top, college football playoff would be but on then top. then Alamo Bowl's the top. Alamo, Pop-Tart. Texas Bowl, Liberty Bowl, Guaranteed Rate Bowl, and then a couple others. And the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, that's in Phoenix. That is in Phoenix, correct. So I would hope and pray that the Liberty Bowl is not on the table here. It's funny because last year, because Kansas is actually better than they were last year. They won more games. But last year, the Liberty Bowl, like, reached, they, they, they bumped Kansas up. Because if you remember the order of the Bulls, they're not necessarily just assigning, hey, you yeah, finished third the, in the Big 12. the Bull wants. Right, it's who they yeah. want. So they actually reached up to pick Kansas. It could be funny because Kansas could actually, by, I don't, I don't know, it's just very muddled in the Big 12, end up settling there again when in reality, you know, they had a better season. Yeah, so I think the question here is, let's just, 
I, like, okay, I, I hate wait, to assume this. Hypothetically. What? Would you rather them go to the guaranteed rate bowl, even though technically it's lower on the bowl selection, so hypothetically could be a worse matchup, just so they go to Phoenix as opposed to having to go back to the Liberty Bowl? Yes. Would you prefer that? I would. I think I agree with you. Yes. So let, let, I, I hate to do this, but let's just do that. Let's just say KU finishes 8-4. and four. Let's say that they can't get it done against Kansas State. Okay. They beat Cincinnati. They're 8-4. and four. At 8-4... and four, I think you're in a position at that point where you're probably good enough to be in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. But if you look at the Big 12 standings, I mean, you're going to have they're going to have their pick. I mean, you know, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, like those are teams that are going to be there uh, that are going to be possibly picked. up. I mean, even Iowa State at this point could be a team where, you know, if a team wants them or if a bowl wants them. So it seems like the Pop-Tarts Bowl is probably the most the number one option, I would think, right now. And I think eight and four, that's in Orlando. And I think eight and four is probably good enough to where they would make the selection. But I don't know. I mean, then you look at the Houston or the Tech. I keep calling it the Houston Bowl, the, the Texas Bowl yeah. in Houston. I think that's probably a, could be a decent option, you know. And I think for KU fans, that might be the best option because there's you know there's a lot of KU fans in like the Dallas area. I don't know. I don't know. How close is that to Houston? Well, what about there are actually some bowl games in Dallas, but they're further down the line. It's like the Armed Forces Bowl yeah. and, and some of those. Uh, there is a good population of Kansas fans in Phoenix, so guaranteed okay. rate would, would kind of add I to I got to be honest. I don't really care what level of bowl it is, to be honest. Well, I, really I, I care if it's like Alamo or Pop-Tart. At that point, those are bowls big enough to probably make it like a top 25-ish matchup, okay. which makes it more marquee, more eyeballs on it, and if you win the game, it's more impactful what it does for your program. I do agree, though. Once you get to the certain level of like, are you playing a 6-6 six and six Big Ten team or a 7-5 and five SEC team? I don't really care. Yeah, agree. Um, now that said, I, here's how I think it goes. I think if they beat Kansas State on Saturday, I think there's a very good chance they end up in the Pop Tart Bowl. Yeah, because, I think. Yeah, if you finish nine and three, I would say you're almost guaranteed to go to the Pop Tart. Well, because I think even if they go eight and four, but BK State, because here's the problem: the Pop Tart Bowl is going to run into, into again. They can pick anybody they want. Yeah. But it becomes a problem when they're like, oh, we have to pick one of Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas, and if Kansas lost to both of them, it's like, well, can we really pick them? And yeah. Pop Tart. That, the I will say the Pop Tart Bowl people were there for the Oklahoma game. Yeah. That, that's so. the thing is like, whoever. I mean. If you want to play out this hypothetically even further, you know, Texas wins the Big 12 title. They're going to be in the CFP probably. I don't know, though. It's, it's I mean, 12-1. Right yeah, nobody's losing at the top right now. 12-1 with a Big 12 title, you'd think in any other and year. And win over Alabama. Be, yeah, and win over Alabama, you'd think would be good enough to get you in. But, hell, I don't know at this point, to be honest. Uh, but let's just assume that they make the CFP or whatever. Then the team that lost in the Big 12 title game, that would be a New Year's Six team at that point, right? Possibly, if they're ranked high enough. So because then, at that not point, the normal tie-in this year. So then, yeah. that takes away two teams. So let's say that's you know, let's say that's Oklahoma State. So then, at that point, you have Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Kansas. And even if you want to throw in Iowa State, those four teams probably that are you know the top four for selections. Oklahoma is is probably number one, but then like Kansas State and can you know I don't know. It's 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 a muddled situation for sure. It really is. So it's really hard to say because of how muddled it is. Technically, Kansas is tied eight or is eighth place in the Big Twelve. They're tied sixth. They're in eighth <laughs> place because of how muddled everything is. So it's it's really yeah. hard to say even with two games to go because of how much shifting. You can easily go from eighth to third. You can go from fourth to seventh. Like it's so hard. But yeah, I think I think Pop Tart would make a lot of sense. I think if they finish a bit lower, if they finish seven and five or eight and fourth, lost to K State, maybe you're looking at the guaranteed rate of the Liberty Bowl again. Yeah. Okay. This one from uh, hey, wait, Josh. Real, one, oh, yeah, one thing, sorry. Is it? Is is the Texas the Texas Bowl is that above guaranteed rate and Liberty? Yeah, Texas is fourth, and then Liberty's yeah. fifth. Yeah, okay. for what it's worth. Uh, okay, this one from Josh. I might combine this one with the one from Hawkman, but uh, different questions. Would you trade Kansas losing every Maui Invitational game 
to beat Kansas State by 30 on Saturday? Okay, the answer is no, and here is why. He did not specifically say that if you if you choose the the option the where you the, the alternative that KU is guaranteed to lose against Kansas State. Correct. So that's why I'm saying no, because I'd rather watch KU basketball win multiple games in Maui, and then ha- and then roll, basically I'm rolling roll the, dice the dice with KU football to say that I think they can still win, but not by third. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Man, that's how if, I they, feel. if they won by thirty, that'd be insane. It would be insane. That would be, I mean, especially with Cole Ballard. I mean, that would be just. I don't even. I can't even put into words what that would be like. It's the prospect, though, that if you're losing all three, that means you're losing to Shamanad too. Yeah, yeah. Because if if you were in the if you were in the Maui bracket and your first game was like UCLA or you know even like I know Syracuse Syracuse ended up yeah, losing Syracuse to, yeah. to Colgate. No, they came back. They came back to win. Back okay, to win, I didn't yeah. actually see the final score, so they came back and won. So you know, even if it was Syracuse, like okay, fine, I would maybe consider taking it. But right, because your first game is Shamanad, which by the way, who picks that? Who picks who Shamanad gets to play? Uh, it's usually they try to seed it. They seed it. So theoretically, oh, okay. KU's the one seed gotcha. and Chaminade's okay, the eight okay, seed. Okay, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, no, I would I would rather win in Maui and then roll the dice with KU in KC. I agree with that uh, for what it's worth. Um, okay, this one from Hawkman, same kind of question, but different alternative. Would you rather beat K-State but lose the bowl game or lose to K-State but win the bowl game? I think you're going to hate my answer. I don't know. I think That's, I'd rather beat K State and lose the bowl game. No, I, I agree with you. Okay, yeah. okay. I didn't know. I didn't know how what, what your thought process was there because uh, you haven't beaten K State in 15 years. It'd be one and thing if the bowl game was like a New Year's Six game, you know? Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. So I think I think I'd rather beat K State because I've I've said this before. For me personally, and I know there's probably people that disagree. For me personally, like making the bowl is like quote is the it, reward is the victory basically. For me, at the at this stage, I understand people who are like, "Well, you need to have higher standards." Burr, 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 burr. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not there yet. I yes, in the next two to three years, you probably need to win a bowl game as like another check mark of how your program is ascending. But at this point, I think beating Kansas State for the first time in 15 years and the last game at the old booth would have a higher impact on the program, recruiting, fan fan support, fan enthusiasm, all that stuff. Than going and winning the guaranteed rate bowl or the Texas bowl or the Pop Tarts bowl, I just think it would. So that's why I would I'd pick that. I just realized though, with the guaranteed rate bowl, Phoenix started a pipeline in Arizona. <laughs> How big would that be? Maybe they should <laughs> want to go to the guaranteed rate bowl. I mean, they have all those kids uh, yeah, from I, Arizona. Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, but uh, no, I, I think I think at this stage, beating Kansas State would do more. Truly, I really do. I do agree, though. I, I think that's the, the right way to go with that one. Okay, uh, this question from Elias. Not to take away focus from this fun season, but who do you think the betting favorite is to start at quarterback next year? This is an interesting question. So Jason Bean will have exhausted eligibility. Depending on who you ask, you might get some different answers, uh, if, if you know what I mean. And if you don't know what I mean, you're not terminally online enough. Uh, okay, I think... For me, it's for me. It's still got to be Jalen Daniels at this point. I mean, I agree. He'd be the better favorite. Com- yeah, he's gonna be coming back presumably. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not buying all that BS bull crap mm-hmm. that's going around. I'm not buying that right now. Uh, I I think he's gonna be the starter next season. I feel I feel comfortable saying that today, uh, given everything that's happening. 
And then I don't see Cole Ballard starting. I don't see Isaiah Marshall starting, I don't think. I think after Jalen Daniels. Freshman. Yeah, I think after Jalen Daniels, the next most likely scenario is probably a transfer quarterback, I would think. Uh, uh, and, and, and listen, it may end up be a situation where Jalen Daniels is the starter and KU still brings in a transfer quarterback. I think that, that could be a scenario, too, for some extra insurance. Mm-hmm. But I think it's got to be Jalen Daniels. So I think I think given how you've gotten to the backup quarterback, you definitely want to, and the third string, you definitely, if you're Kansas, want to make sure you have that spot filled. Now, hypothetically, if Jalen Daniels is back, which is what I'm expecting, so he'd be the betting favorite, yeah. then you honestly might not have to worry about that because you you feel like you might actually have the backup covered with Isaiah Marshall and Cole Ballard. You know, yeah, you want right. a true freshman being your starter? No, but if he's your backup and he's really good, that's fine. But also you might have, I mean, let's talk again post-Saturday. If Cole Ballard is the starter and beats Kansas State, <laughs> well, it's going to be a different conversation. Could like, be. Could you know be. what I mean? It's going to yeah. be like, oh, Cole Ballard is the future. <laughs> it's like, forget, you know. Forget Isaiah um, Marshall. Forget David Combs. Let's say Jalen Daniels were to be gone, which again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I, I don't expect that. I have Jalen Daniels as the favorite to yeah, be the starter. I agree, yeah. If that were to happen... I would say yes, definitely a transfer portal addition. Either that or Cole Ballard, depending on how he plays, if he plays Saturday. Those would be my, my favorites. And then Marshall maybe long term, although David McCombs coming in too. So I mean yeah. quarterback position actually feels pretty Looking good. Pretty here. good. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, this one from Brad. Where does this champions classic win rank? So I'd, I'd assume among other champions classic wins. Yeah. Which, uh KU This is let's see. This is pretty high up there for me, honestly. I have a clear. I have a clear number one for me personally, though. Okay. I don't know the, what. What do you? Think? So I'm here's here's a couple that come to mind for me. 2013 Kansas Duke when you had I mean the fanfare around that one was so much fun. You had With, Andrew uh, Wiggins, Wiggins, Joel against, Embiid, Wayne Selden, Jabari Parker, right? Against Jabari yeah, yeah, Parker yeah. and those freshmen for Duke, and it was a high scoring fun game. 94-83. That one was a ton of fun. So that one would go up there. Uh, by the way, by far the worst is the the next year's game, Kentucky 72, Kansas 40. So that one clearly <laughs> not in the discussion. Um, the other one that comes to mind is the Frank Mason game-winning shot against Duke, 77-75. And then, I mean, there, there have been a couple ugly wins in there that I, I don't know that I would pick to be the one. Um, but this one would probably go up there. So it's in the top three. It's in the top three. For me, the clear number one is the Frank Mason game. Okay. Frank Mason game-winning shot. Uh, that was my freshman year at KU, so that was just awesome. Like it was just totally sick. Uh, I have very very. That was the same for me with 2013. So yeah, maybe it's just nostalgia is the one. Yeah, you go exactly. With. So I just have very very fond memories of that uh, and watching that game. But yeah, no, I think this one. I agree with you. I think this is probably in the top three. I mean, Frank Mason's number one for me. The 2013 game, I think, has got to be high up there. Uh, and you're right because there have been some other one. There have been some other other games that are less memorable because they you won ugly. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I think this is probably in the top three. I'd probably put it second for me personally. I think Frank Mason's one for me, though. I think I'd go with Frank Mason one, Andrew Wiggins two, and then this one three. Um, but, it, I mean, it's close all the way around. And, and like, they're all yeah. fun in their own right. Like, Ochai going off a couple years ago, that game wasn't great. You just blew him out. That, yeah. that was, you know, cool. I mean, last year... Um, Grady Dick going off at the very end. Like, that was a fun finish to the game as well. But that yeah. one felt a little bit more of a slog. Like, this one was an up-and-down open game, and that's yeah. part of it, too. When you get a high-scoring game that feels like good basketball, especially early in the season. Yeah. I mean, most times, you know, uh, an 89-84 game is going to be more exciting than a 65-62 game. Right. So, I, I would definitely have this one uh, in at number three. I Just to flip this question around, obviously I said the Kentucky one was the... The worst. Sure. What others would come to mind? 
as I bad mean, ones? Yeah, like what would be on the bottom? If we were just ranking them all the way, what would be at the bottom next to that one? The the Duke one from 1920, just because you had like 30 turnovers. From 1920, what? Oh, the okay, 2019 okay, okay. to 2020 season. <laughs> so it was in 2019. Okay. You, you legitimately I, had 30 turnovers. Like, Yeah, 28 turnovers in that game. Yeah. That that makes that game That's just very rough to watch, right? That's just very frustrating. Like, of all the ways you can lose, turning it over a bajillion times is one of the more frustrating ways, I think. Right. So that would certainly be up there. I'm trying to think. Like, um, the Michigan State loss in 20, I think it was 2016, would be up there because I I can't remember exactly how much they were up by or, like, when. But Kansas was, gosh, was that 2016? Okay, 2016 was the Frank Mason one, I think. Right? No, that would have been... I guess that was 2016. So it was 2015. 2015 Kansas-Michigan State, which was still a really good Kansas team. I mean, that Kansas team ended up being the number one overall seed in the tournament. That Michigan State team ended up being a two seed and I think lost in the first round of the tournament. Um, that sucks, Izzo. It was a, it was a game when, uh, by the way, Denzel Valentine. I was told Izzo is the best coach in March. <laughs> fraud. Well, they, no, but they beat Another Kansas fraud. in this one. Multiple frauds. It was... Uh, it was a game that Kansas shouldn't have lost. They led by 13 twice in the first half. And uh, then they led 61-50 to with 9.42 to go. They went on a 12-1 run to Michigan State. Then Kansas trailed late in the game, and they, they just couldn't get it done at the end. That was a very frustrating loss because it was like, it was coming off two straight Kansas years where they had lost in the first weekend. And you got up big, and it was like, okay, finally, this team's like back to being, you know, back to where you're expecting it to be. And then that happened, and it was it was such a level of frustration. So that one would probably go up there as well. All right, this one from Derek H. Uh, two questions. One, bigger concern coming out of the win versus Kentucky. Defense, bench play, or lack of perimeter shooting sans mm. Dewan? Uh, I think, well, okay. I think the bench play and the lack of perimeter shooting kind of go hand in hand a little bit. So... To me, I'll say I'll say the, the lack of perimeter shooting, I guess. Because if Dewan Harris isn't going off, which he's probably not going to be most nights, where who's gonna be who's gonna be taking those shots? Mm-hmm. Right? Who's gonna be knocking down those shots? Uh because I'm not worried about the defense like at all. Like my worry scale on the defense is flatline, zero. Not concerned in the slightest. With the bench play, I'm not that concerned because I think with the, with the level of starters play, I kind of talked about it in the last segment, with the level of starters play you have, the job of the bench at this point really is to just hold the line. I mean, just don't screw it up. Just hold the line. The lack of perimeter shooting is think probably the biggest concern, especially if Timberlake is going to be a guy you can't rely on to play at all because he is def- deficient in other areas. You're not going to get this reference, but every time you say, you know, hold the line, I think of this hold team the Game of Thrones. Because there's okay. a character whose name is Hodor, <laughs> and he's named. I mean, I do. You, I I don't think if you haven't seen it at this point, I, I don't care. I'm just gonna. I haven't seen. Something. I haven't seen. At that. one point, it's Hodor. Basically, because hold the door, hold ah. the door. Ah. You know, and so that's what I think of with the bench, which makes me think that the rest of the KU starters are just Stark children. Which again, this is going completely over your head, but uh, yeah, it is because I have not seen. I have not seen Game of Thrones. I'm gonna give Dewan Harris, Jon Snow. I know who Jon Snow is. Give. Hunter Dickinson, Bran. Don't know who that is. We're going to give Kevin McCuller, Sansa Stark. I think I know who that is. And then we're going to give KJ Adams, Arya. And if you disagree, is that the tell blonde? me why. Is Arya the blonde? On Twitter. The blonde one? No. Okay, there is mind. no blonde one. That is a okay, uh, different family. 
Okay. I really wish you'd seen Game of Thrones because that could have been fire conversation <laughs> right there. Anyway, um, for what it's worth, for, for my answer to that question, I yeah, I, I would say lack of, I, I guess, perimeter shooting, but I do agree with you. It goes hand-in-hand hand hand with bench play because yeah. if Nick Timberlake comes off the bench and it's two threes, that probably makes it a good day for the bench yeah. and it would help your perimeter shooting. Yeah. Um, okay, number two, how do the Jayhawks defeat K-State if Cole Ballard starts? That's a good question. I I think they'll need some a lot of turnovers defensively on Kansas State. Which is tough because they don't really turn it over. They haven't lately, no. Will Howard has actually been playing very, yes. very well for the last over the last four games. It seems like he's really turned it on. Uh, so you're going to need some help from the defense. I'm not saying you need defensive touchdowns, but you need some help from the defense in that area. And then I think you'll just have to – It'll just you'll just need a big game from from Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw, uh, I, I think so. Which you know Henry Greenstein just talked about how the the style of defense K State plays is not conducive really because KU has struggled with the run against those defenses previously this season. The big thing about this game, and we'll we'll get more into this over the course of this week as we start previewing this game more. Kansas State is in a situation with injuries and whatnot that they have a lot of question marks in the linebacker position. I think you've got to you've got to exploit that if you're KU. You've got to find a way to exploit that. Either you've got to utilize your tight end play. Play action. That, to me, is the key for KU offensively, is you've got to find a way to exploit those linebackers in case it has kids. They're going to be starting some young linebackers. They've got a lot of injuries there. You've got to find a way to exploit that. Either find a way in the run game to exploit it, play action game, Mason Fairchild, your tight ends. That, to me, offensively is how KU, I think, is going to have the most impact in this game. Uh, Non-offensive touchdown. Could be special teams, defense, turnover battle. And just making it a uh, a running game where you do, even though you haven't ran the ball well against three three five, K State's had a few games this year where they have given up, you know, solid rushing totals to good running teams. So if you can have one of those dominant games where you have two fifty on the ground and the defense has a good game, but you've played better at home. That's how Kansas can win this game, even with Cole Ballard. And let's yeah. not forget, Cole Ballard helped Kansas go seven to fifteen on third downs. It's not like they were horrible on the money downs. Uh, this one from Aaron. Each of your favorite memories in the old booth. Which this will be the old booth after the old this booth. Saturday. Yep, yeah. the old booth. Uh, okay. Number one, KU Texas Tech 2019. Uh, I was working for KJHK, the student radio station at the time, broadcasting that game. Uh, that's a pretty fond memory of, for me. Um, I wasn't actually in the booth. I was actually uh, running the board for the KJHK broadcast my freshman year when they beat Texas. But I do remember going down there afterwards and celebrating. That was a fun memory. But I don't know. I wasn't really there. I don't know if I count that one. But then honestly, dude, the Iowa State game to go 5-0 and last year, I, I've never experienced – I mean, that, that that goes on on the Mount Rushmore of life experiences for me. Just the the, the, the way the game ended, how KU won it. Like, I have, I have more fond memories of that game than I do of Oklahoma State, which got us bowl eligible. So the Iowa State game specifically for me – I just have a lot. I have the the emotions after that game was so incredible. That's probably close to number one. But I think yeah, I think that the 2019 Texas Tech win those are probably my top my top. So I have a couple. Uh, even though they lost this game when they almost beat that top five TCU team, that was incredible. Was that, that the, was, was that the Nigel King game? Yeah, Nigel King, yeah. Nick Harwell, all those guys. Um, that was incredible, and, and yeah, I was I was doing that for the student radio station. That was the final football game I did for that, so that was cool. Yeah. Um, I, the Oklahoma State game last year was, I mean, just the the moment of release when they win the game to become bowl eligible. That was really cool. 
And then besides that, there was a, there was a game. I, I don't even remember what it was. It was it was a game that Carter Stanley for, threw for like 400 yards. KU lost the game to Kansas State uh, by like 10 points or something like that because they they couldn't stop giving up like big kick and punt returns. But I I was there at the time with my my girlfriend, now my wife, and I just remember how upset she was getting at certain things that were going against Kansas in the game. <laughs> and this is more of a sentimental one for me, but like it was one of those moments where you're just like, ah, I, I really like this chick, you know? Because it, it was just like, I don't know, when, when you're in sports like I, I am and, and when it is your, your life like it is for us, like that yeah. becomes more, like you have to find a significant other who's at least semi into sports. And, and my wife yeah. like may not be into some of the other stuff I'm into, but like, you know, for, for some of the stuff, like she's a diehard KU fan. And so, uh, that was kind of cool uh, for me. So those are the members that uh, certainly stick out. Just being there at games with my family. The Texas yeah. Tech one 2019 will always stick out with me because that was the weekend of my wedding. And uh, oh, wow, me yeah. and family and friends went to the game, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, that's uh, all we have time for today on our KU Mailbag. Thank you if you submitted a question. You can do that for next week at RCST1320 or RCST1320 AM at gmail.com. Uh, we got some KU basketball audio we're going to bring to you coming up in our next couple segments. More KU basketball talk coming throughout the show. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Kansas wins 89 to 84 in the Champions Classic with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson as they move to 3 0 on the season. So we've been doing this for football. We're going to do it for, you know, the the non the I big games. The, 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 yeah, which, which honestly, non, most games are big yeah. games. So it's like the non-Manhattan, Eastern Illinois games. Yeah, Eastern Illinois yeah. and Yale, I think are the only two. Yale's other. pretty good. <laughs> okay. I think they have one other one in there that's like, because yeah. Eastern was, Illinois and Yale. And is there one more after I'm that? I'm telling you, watch out for Yale. Yale is ranked 66th on Ken Palm. That's higher than uh, Wichita State. That's higher than Oklahoma State. That's higher than West Virginia. Okay. Okay. Only Yale. Four spots behind Missouri. I didn't. Know, I didn't know. I. I, I apologize. Uh, here's the I other was one. Not UMKC. UMKC. I was not familiar with Yale's game. <laughs> yeah. UM, UMKC is the other one. Those are. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Um. Anyway. Is that game at the Sprint Center? No. I don't think so. I think just the Wichita State one is. Okay. Well. Anyway. Uh. What is your biggest positive from KU's win last night, dude? Other than the fact that they just won. There's a lot of. I think there's a lot of positives mm-hmm. that you can you can go from here. Uh, Dewan Harris takeover, obviously, and his scoring ability. And, dude, I want to see more of this. I love, love, love Chippy Dewan. That was awesome. The game, I knew K was going to win. The moment Antonio Reeves got in his face and was, like, talking to I was like, it's over. The game is over. We just, KU just won. It's over. And sure enough, it was over. Uh, so that was a huge, huge positive for me. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go kind of off the beaten path here because I think you know you could obviously say, oh, Hunter Dickinson, 27-21, uh, Kevin McCuller, triple double, Dewan Harris. I'm gonna go off the beaten path here. I'm gonna say Jamari McDowell comes in late off the bench. You know, 35 minutes in the game when he hadn't played at all and was really quality on defense and stepped up and hit two free throws to ice the game late to win it. Mm-hmm. That's very very impressive stuff. You want to talk about a guy that was in a situation where. You know, I mean, think about that. You're on the bench for 35 plus minutes of the game, and you come off straight into the heat of battle in a you know one possession game, basically at that point against Kentucky. You play great defense, you get fouled, and you make two free throws to ice the game. Shout out to Jamari McDowell. I I honestly I know previously uh, and even I I mean Bill Self may even have to walk back some of his comments on this because previously it was well his ceiling could be his rotation guy. I think Jamari McDowell might end up being a guy that, that has carves out a bigger role because of his defense, 
and his hustle. And, you know, he may not be the most threatening offensive player out there, but the other things that he does are things that Bill Self loves. It's very, very impressive with Ron McDowell. Just the poise coming in at that moment in the game, doing all the right things, and help stealing the win for KU. I think that's good. And uh, by plus minus, which, again, like in a one-game sample, plus minus is, I don't know, even over a season, like it can have its flaws. In a one-game sample, it especially can have its flaws. But if you use it the right way, you can. I just thought that was funny. So this is clearly not one that I would take the plus minus for much because it is such a short sample that, you know, it's more corollary than than causary. Yeah. He had a team best plus nine in the plus minus, <laughs> which actually Bill Self brought up uh, in the post game, which we'll get to here coming up in our next segment. By the way, do you know who had the worst plus minus on the? There was only one player on KU that had a negative plus minus. It was uh, Timberlake, right? It was minus 13. Yeah. Nobody else was negative. So that wasn't great. Yeah. But the reason I bring that up is because if Jamari McDowell continues to defend like that, maybe Nick Timberlake leads an opening. Maybe, I mean, Johnny Furphy did not look nearly as comfortable in this game than the first two games. And um, with El Marco, he's he's still trying to figure things out. So, you know, maybe, maybe there will be a role for Jamari McDowell. That, that was a good positive there. Uh, yeah. Mine was that, man, I... Uh, I it's hard not to just say Hunter Dickinson is as advertised. <laughs> I mean, it's real. Like, I, yeah. I kind of want to go off the beaten path and be like, well, well dude, biggest many- positive is that Dewan Harris showed he can shoot, but, like, we've seen him have other games like that, like the Texas Tech game last yeah. year. I think it's that De- that Hunter Dickinson, you knew he was good, but, but we sat here and talked about this after the Illinois game. We said, I think he's good, but what if he just ends up being good, but it's a little, you know, lackluster good? Well, dude, what have I been saying all along? I just want to see him try, okay? <laughs> well, guess what? He was trying his ass off yes, against he Kentucky, was. and it was awesome. And this is this is like that is above advertising. Like when you yes. bring in a guy who has immediate expectations to be an All American, that's tough to live up to expectations. The way he played last night is far exceeding expectations. Yeah, and twenty seven you know, and twenty one. I, w- I will say this: my knee jerk reaction was, well, you know, that was against a Kentucky team that was without a couple of their bigs. They were playing a little bit smaller, and so I was like, okay, maybe I need to pump the brakes. But then I started thinking about it. That's going to be a lot of the games. Like you're going to have yeah. a major size Majority advantage of them. against basically all of your opponents with Hunter Dickinson. So like that Kentucky game could be just a microcosm of what he's going to be doing against a lot of teams that don't have a big like basically like I started thinking I was like what are the teams that realistically could like go and match up man for man at that position? UConn, Creighton, uh, Purdue, and like I don't know. Those are the three that came to my mind immediately. So you're going to have that advantage in probably most of your games. Yeah, no, really good point. Okay, what is the uh, biggest negative from the game? Mm. I mean, it's. T- I mean, I think the biggest negative would probably be that two that two spot still still being a big question mark, and nobody really stepped in and did it much to make you feel any better about it going forward. Uh, you know, El Marco. I think I think he's going to figure it out. And I continue to believe that, but right now he's playing like a freshman, and it's and it's showing. I mean, he just he's just not quite fully there yet. Uh, and you know, Johnny Furphy was great uh, in the in the games against you know C level competition or worse, but he kind of shied away from the spotlight. It seemed like in in a, in a game like this. And and again, that's, and I'm I'm saying that not to like criticize him, but because he's a freshman. Like I, I didn't. It's not that I was expecting him to you mm-hmm. know come out and, and light and light the nets on fire. But and then obviously with Nick Timberlake, man, if you if you cannot consistently play quality defense for Bill Self, you're just not. You gonna, better be hitting shots. Yeah, like all your shots. Exactly. Either either, either you better be yeah. an absolute flamethrower, 
or you're not going to be playing really that much. So that's that's a bit unfortunate, right? And and it's tough, and it's it's tough because there are, there are certain guys, and we've had this conversation before. There are certain guys under Bill Self that have been the type of players where they can get up off the bench and make two threes. Mm-hmm. There have been other guys where they have to feel the rhythm of the game. It seems like Timberlake is maybe a guy that has to kind of feel the rhythm of the game a little bit before he gets warmed up. But the problem is, is that his defense is at this at this stage in a situation where I don't know that Bill Self is going to allow him to have opportunities to feel into the game and to make some shots. So it's kind of a it's, it's a tough situation for him, and he's just he's just got to find a way to improve that. I think got to find a way to improve on the defensive end, or like I said, or find a way to where he can just step up and hit shots right on cue. So. That would be the probably the biggest negative is just that two guard that two spot, that fifth final starting spot. You still don't, you still don't feel like you have anybody there. And on top of that, you scored nine points. Guess how many points the bench had? Four, four points. I think those would all be good things to to kind of point out for for the biggest negative. If I want to go with something else, it would probably be that the defense is still a work in progress. Um, and that's okay. It's early in the season. We heard from Bill Self a couple weeks ago. He said he actually works on the offense before he works on the defense and figures out you know what specific way they want to play, and then they start making adjustments from there. Um, and they're just trying to, early in the season, try to figure out what's their fastball. They'll work on the, the curveball and the off-speed pitches as uh, kind of the season goes on. Uh, but I, I think that's going to be a thing all season long. When they're playing a team who can space the floor, you're probably going to get beat sometimes in ball screens and giving up three-point shots. Now, I will say... The overall defense, I don't think is a negative because low-key, it felt like Kentucky kind of torched you at times, and they still wound up for the game shooting, what, like 30, Just under 33%. Yeah, 33% yeah. from the floor, um, and they started to cool off from three and everything, so it ended up being okay. And I think that's more of a testament to KU's two-point defense. Um, KU's two-point defense has been really good so far this season, and their two-point yeah. offense has been really good so far this season. Yeah. So those aren't the negatives. It's just... What happened? And, and to be clear, like not every team can do what Kentucky does. Not every team has a bunch of quick, fast guards that can drive and shoot it, um, and do it at a high level and are super athletic and everything. Uh, but Kansas right now is uh, seventh in the country in two point offense. They're shooting sixty six percent. Seventh in the country in a two point defense at thirty seven percent. So that's going to win you a lot of games over the course of the season. And uh, yeah, I, I have my worry about how the spreading works if you're playing Marquette in a second round Maui Invitational game. But like for the most part. You know, you're going to play a lot of teams who won't be able to take advantage of it as well as Kentucky does. And even then, you won the game. But yeah, that, that might be my biggest negative just uh, with that. Uh, yeah. What is your biggest neutral of the game? I think my biggest neutral is probably the free throw shooting because it felt... it watching Ended the game, up 75%. I, I know, yeah, that's why it's a neutral. Because watching the game live, I was like... God, make a damn free throw. Like, there what was, is going there on? There was that stretch when KU was down double digits. And they just like kept going one six. of two. Yes, or like, like they missed like the free throw on a, on, a, on an and one yes. from KG Adams. Yes. When they're trying to put a dent in the lead, and it just felt like that was going to make it insurmountable to come back. Yeah, yeah. and But then you look at the box score, too, and to your point, mm-hmm. you ended up shooting 75% from the line, which is not bad at well. all. Yeah. 75% from the line is not, I mean, if you were to extrapolate like that over the course of the whole season, you're probably in the upper at, yeah. upper tier of the country in free throw shooting. And they made their last six. That helped. Yeah. They were 21 of 30 at one point, which that was going to be like, oh, no, what went wrong here? But yeah. They, they Another sneaky neutral that I might go with here, and I, I don't know, It's it's I, I think it's more positive than neutral, but I'll just throw it out there just mm-hmm. to be different. K.J. Adams. Hmm. As a I thought player. he was an overall positive. I think I think so too, but you know, the the, the outside shooting, not not there. 
No. Not there. He, he had a KJ had a classic he David McCormick pull up long two that was just bricked. O for five on jump shots. I, I, so I, I'm trying to remember. O when for this, three on free throws. O for one on three and O for one on the the mid ranger. So I'm about. trying. To, yeah, I'm trying to remember when that was in the game. But KU had gone on a run. Yeah. They were closing the gap, and then KJ Adams comes down and with like 22 seconds on the shot clock takes a a long two. Half, it was near the start of the second half. Takes a long two that just had no chance of going in. Yeah, no he chance. Fouls out. And but they like, But he again, he's gonna get a billion dunks, mm-hmm. and he played he played fantastic. So I again I I would I don't think it's a neutral. I just wanted to throw it out there. Well, KJ Adams have a single game this season where he has less dunks in the game than Jalen Wilson had in his his uh, final season <laughs> at KU. That is the ultimate question. No, uh, my biggest neutral here is hmm. I guess I would go with rebounding because KU. Um, Defense, like they gave up 15 offensive rebounds, which is probably too many. But then again, that's, I mean, they had 37 of them. So it gives them what, like 71% defensive rebounding rate, which isn't like bad. It's not like great, but it's not bad against an athletic team. Um, and then in terms of the offensive rebounding, KU was at like 23%, which, you know, isn't great. I, I don't know that this is going to be a great rebounding team. I was kind of hoping it would be because you have Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller and maybe KJ Adams playing smaller would help. But I think we're finding that, you know, you need more than just Hunter and Kevin on, on the glass well, yeah, right KJ now. KJ Adams only had four rebounds in the game. Yeah, so I, I think rebounding would be the biggest neutral. There, were, there was a stretch there at the end of the first half that Kentucky started to get a bunch of offensive rebounds. And that really allowed them to balloon their lead. Um, for the game, it wasn't like a huge deal, but I don't think it was like a positive either. So that would probably be my biggest neutral. Uh, what was the KU play of the game? Mm. I think there's some good options here. I think you could go with the Hunter Dickinson three at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good, pretty cool. Needed that Plus to little, stay within striking his distance. Celebration that I think for FCC reasons <laughs> I won't go into too much detail on. <laughs> uh, but then. Dude, the the back to back to one threes. Later yeah, in the you're down seventy eight seventy two with five minutes left. Yeah, the first one, I believe. No, I could be wrong on that. I think they got an and one, or it was eighty one seventy five. I knew they were down six. They hit a three with like three and a half minutes left. Then he hits another three with like three minutes left, down eighty three. Like, yeah, he had to. You had to have. I those. think that's the play probably of the game is those those back to back threes. I agree. I I think if you want to take the first one, I'll take the second one. You want me to take the Hunter Dickinson? Hunter Dickinson. Three no, plus no, no, no. Oh, you oh, take oh, the first oh, oh, one, see, three, I'll take saying. the second one. Okay, yeah, I see. This will be saying. our plays of the game. Yeah. All right, that is uh, our more KU Kentucky talk here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's get to what Bill Self had to say after the game from the podium as KU defeated Kentucky 89-84 to at the Champions Classic. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think there'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.